Hello team and welcome to episode 428 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Jansen. Chris is an author and board certified coach with a master's in counseling psychology. Many of us have an idea of the life that we want to live, yet many of us aren't living the life that we truly want. Chris has spent years studying, learning and working with clients to truly discover what are the keys to living a life that you truly love and that's exactly what we discuss in today's episode. In this episode, you can expect to learn why it may be better to take huge steps, especially in the early stages of your journey, versus just dipping your toe in the water, how to become the first in your family or friends group to achieve something that no one in this community has ever achieved before, along with how you can find a community that supports your goals and the vision that you have for your life. So without further ado, Chris Jansen. Chris Jansen, welcome to the show. How are you today? Wonderful, Elliot. And yourself? I am very, very well. Thank you so much for asking. I'm excited about our conversation. I'm looking forward to diving deep. But before we do, can you give the listeners a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? Of course. Um, I'm Chris Jansen. I am an, an author and a coach. I have a master's in counseling psychology. And I'm back when I got my master's, it was a Therapy and counseling was a different world. Yeah, it was very much what hasn't worked in the past. And coaching wasn't on the scene yet. I learned about coaching and thought that's fantastic because it's all about what works, what moves people forward. And personally, myself, you know, having been to therapists myself and having worked with clients of my own, I just was feeling like all that analyzing and all that talking that we used to do back in the day was keeping, for me, it was keeping me stuck in it. And I think it's good to, especially if something's tr- very traumatic, right? It's get, it's good to understand it, get to the root cause of it, talk to somebody about it, have a com- supportive community, absolutely. And then take what that's going to give you and move forward. Life you know, use what life gives you. Don't be used by it. Don't camp there. And so for me, coaching was all about that. It was, it's all about moving forward. It's all about what works. And I went back to school and got my, my life coaching certificate and started working as a coach. Hmm, That's a really interesting transition. I've not heard the idea of spending too much time kind of analyzing and going through past traumas and kind of feeling stuck there as a byproduct of that. Do you think that that's maybe one of the bigger challenges of traditional talk therapy? I know CBT is very, very popular at this moment in time. And the whole concept behind CBT is to go through those past traumas, uh, kind of recontextualize them in a sense. Do you think that that can sometimes be not quite beneficial or maybe it's beneficial to a degree and then there needs to be a certain transition out of that? Yeah, I think the word, the key word there is recontext them. I can't say it as elegant as you do. <laughs> the, um, that's the key, right? Understand it and then reframe it and then move forward. Then go get what you want. My this, I, I'm also an author. So my book is called Living All In, How to Show Up for You, The Life You Want. And so that is the next part, right? What do you want? What is the life you want to live? And now let's map out how to do that. And how to show up for it. 
even when you don't want to. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's the, the biggest key. part, right? And I think that that's right. the thing that we're going to discuss a little bit later as well. And I work with people all over the world with their health and fitness goals. And when you first meet someone, they're incredibly excited. They're incredibly motivated to get started. But as we all know, that doesn't last for very long. And this is the exact conversation I was having with my fiance in the gym. We were there on Friday and we've been pretty committed to our nutrition plan, our training right now. And we were having a day where it would have been easier to skip. You know, it was like that 5 p.m. time on a Friday afternoon. We weren't able to go in the morning, which is our traditional time. So we missed kind of our optimal time and then we had to push it to later in the day. And for me, that was the moment where I was like, this is a, this session counts more than those four that we've already done this week because this is the one that we mm-hmm. don't want to turn up to. And I think that if we can get better at turning up when we don't want to, I think that that's one of the biggest keys to success. So I'm sure you can speak on that a little bit more. Right, and that is, that's a practice. It's conditioning and repetition, especially when we don't want to. And the more we do that and the more we do the hard things... It's whether, and that could be, maybe it's not a workout. Maybe it's just a cold blast at the end of your shower, or if you have a cold plunge, um, something like that, right? Being in the habit and the pattern of doing something you don't want to do every day. Yeah, absolutely builds that resilience. I feel like it has a knock-on effect as well. So I think that we're going to dive a little bit deeper on that in just a moment. But you mentioned going all in and showing up for the life that you want to live. What do you mean by those two concepts specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. So all in is, to me, that is showing up no matter what. I My husband and I are, we're both... 54 right now. So we've lived some life. And in that time, we have a lot of really great friends. So we've been with people through a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And the people we choose to surround ourselves with are those people that that keep showing up instead of, and when I say show up, I mean, instead of numbing out or instead of checking out. And that can, that can look a lot of different ways. That can, that can be an addiction. It can be just completely taking yourself out or it can be just, it can be on all like a, a different scale. Right. And so the people that I choose to surround myself with, they show up when life is extremely hard. Right. And, and it's messy. It's super messy right? And just keep going. That's what I mean by that. My editor actually said, are you sure you want to say how to show up for the life you want? Like, that's kind of a funny thing to say. I said, yes, like, that's what this is about. That's what being all in and living all in is about, because it's easy to do on the days we feel great or the days we we have a lot of energy and feel really in shape and it's not easy on those other days. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you surround yourself with a lot of people who show up. You are someone who has kind of coined that concept and live your life by it and I'm sure your husband does as well. And I want to get an idea of what the difference is between the decisions that show up and those people who choose not to, because of quite often it is the harder choice in the short term, but it kind of leads us to the long-term position that we want to be in. So how do we get to a position where even though we know it's the harder choice, like that cold blast, that gym session that we discussed, you know, going sober or whatever it might be, how can we get ourselves to make the choice that we know is harder in the short term, 
But ultimately, you know, we, we just don't want to do it in that moment in mm -hmm. many, many different times. And it's, again, like a lot of us can show up on the days where it's easy, but how can we get ourselves to a position where we are consistently committed to the vision of continuing to show up? The first thing is to choose your heart, right? Both things are hard. It's mm. going to be really hard if you numb out and if you check out. That might that will be easier instantly, the instant gratification of it. In the long term, it's going to be a lot harder. So like you mentioned sober. So when I work with people, I work with a lot of people in recovery. I'm actually sober myself. And choose your heart's a great place to start because sure, especially if you're in a habit or you have a routine of let's just use alcohol of drinking, right? It's all over the world. It's extremely commonplace. It's almost we're the weirdos that don't drink, right? If I say I don't drink what? What? You know, I don't have to explain why I don't eat mayonnaise, right? Why do I have to explain yeah. that I don't ingest a toxic poison? That's just the world we live in. And I do believe it's changing. I think that already for I have three kids in their 20s already. I see their those generations are choosing mocktails over alcohol or they're choosing there and and it could just be for health reasons. There's a lot of reasons right now. There's a lot of awareness over why it's not good for us to drink alcohol. But let's take sobriety for instance. So if I'm working with someone or even with myself who's been in this world and is used to drinking as a lifestyle and is surrounded by people that drink, I have, you know, I have friends that drink. I it's all around then that's going to be hard, right? So if drinking's not working for somebody, it's going to be harder to continue drinking. So what the focus then becomes is choosing sobriety and we get rid of the language quitting drinking, right? We're going to use mantras. We're going to use, we're going to use our focus mentally and our language at our mouth to be choose sobriety and what does all of that mean and what is that going to give you and we're going to ditch the language of quitting drinking right because it's going to be hard but it's going to be harder to stay in it and just to, to keep with the the pain of what you want to change yeah it's interesting with that choice of language when you say i'm going to quit drinking i think when we think about quitting depending on what it is. I mean, sometimes it gives us immediate relief. Maybe it's like a job or something, a relationship or something that we didn't like. But we tend to have this kind of negative connotation with the word quitting, like it's going to be hard. It's usually things that we maybe enjoy. But I like that kind of change of frame. Instead of quitting, I'm choosing sobriety. And again, relating that back to my world, it's not that I'm quitting sugar or quitting the foods that I wanted to eat all of my life is that I'm choosing a healthier path. I'm choosing more aligned foods that align better with my goals at this moment in time. So do you do a lot of that kind of language shifting? There's another one when it comes mm -hmm. to weight loss as well. A lot of people are like, well, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to go through loss. And I think that's a big one. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, we have this, it's a kind of different concept, but it's still a loss of something. Whereas when right. maybe we can go down the direction of like, okay, we're gaining life quality. We're gaining more mm -hmm. years to our life. And I, 
think that that can be a really, really healthy frame. So is that something that you do a lot in your work? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we I actually, if I'm working with someone to lose weight, we call it gain lightness, if that's Ooh, the goal. Gain right? lightness. Sometimes like the goal is, I like what you said too, sometimes the goal is to gain, it's for health reasons, right? Not necessarily pounds. Absolutely, because we focus on what you're gaining and instead of what we're giving up. And that right there takes practice. That takes conditioning and repetition, right? Because it took a long a long time to get the narrative or become in love with the way we used to do things. So we have to be patient. It's going to take time to have a new narrative. So we've got to be really very extreme in the beginning. Mantras, post-it notes all over the place, right? Put your mantra on your phone wallpaper, say it out loud, be silly, use motion and emotion, be physical about it so that new, what you want to gain and your new mantra gets into your physiology and into your nervous system. Yeah, really exaggerated in the beginning because we forget that it took a long time for that old pattern that we want to break to get formed. And it's as simple as you know, a muscle at the gym. If I go to the gym and I want biceps and I, I can't just go in and do a couple biceps, I might feel pretty good. I walk out, but that's not, I'm not done. I have to go every day and condition and repeat. It's the same way with our language, with our focus and with our emotional and mental wellness. I like that. So it's kind of like a heavy level of conditioning in these early stages to kind of make up for the constant conditioning that we've had over many, many years of our life. Because some people will approach me in their 30s or their 40s, and they've been eating and not exercising for the last 20 years of their life. So basically what we're doing here is saying, okay, we've got 20 years of experience in exposition of eating a certain way, not exercising, living in a certain manner. So to kind of radically turn things around, we need to kind of take a quote unquote more aggressive slash extreme approach, whichever word is most relative to you and you can not shy away from essentially in order to kind of radically change that conditioning that has been just so present over those last years, kind of changing like the level of time for intensity. Is that kind of what we're doing in these early stages? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. That's a good thing to take away for people who are getting started. Because I think that there is this, and this maybe is a good question for you as well. What do you think about like this kind of toe in the water approach? A lot of people are like, well, I don't want to change too dramatically because that seems hard. And obviously I, I just want to ease myself in. Like I'm more in the sense of like kind of, I think there's time and place for both, but usually going all in is the fastest way to kind of experience the results and what something can genuinely feel like, which usually leads you to more incentives to move forward with it. But what is your thoughts on people who are like, actually, I just want to start with a little bit of a healthier approach or just going for one extra walk per week? I would get curious and, and ask more questions to the person because there there's a, a place for that. The main answer is no, <laughs> that's a dabbler. <laughs> Right. Don't be a dabbler. Don't put your toe in. Be all in. And and maybe that's going to look like like if I'm working with someone, I'm going to find out uh, maybe there's they have a really full plate. Maybe there's a lot going on. So maybe that looks like we'll be all in and we'll take some other things off. Right. So that you can be all in on your new workout routine or whatever that is. I just don't 
think they're going to, if it's somebody that said they wanted this outcome, they're probably a driven person. They're probably an achiever, right? So I don't think they're going to be happy with one toe in the water. Most people that come to a your podcast or to a life coaching session with me are not the toe type of people. They're they they want to be all in. They just need a little bit of structure and a second voice to to say, okay, here's how we're going to do that. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think it's also allowing people to experience the benefits so that they get the reinforcement of the belief and this actually can work. Because I think of someone who says, maybe I'm going to start with being healthy for two days per week. If they do that for the course of, I don't know, six weeks, well, even seven weeks, they're only going to have 14 days on track throughout the course of those seven weeks. So the results they're going to see in seven weeks, and that discounts what they're going to do in the other five as well, could take two weeks if they just commit it to being on point for these first 14 days. So realistically, they're waiting to see the same results that they would see in seven weeks in two. And I don't know about you, but if someone says I can get results in (laughs) two weeks versus seven, I'm going to choose that every single time as well. So I really like that approach of just saying, okay, well, Maybe the reason why you just want to dabble here is because you don't know if you're going to be able to commit to it. So maybe we need to look at what's on your plate. Are there other reasons that people put up that resistance when they're getting started with something other than maybe everything that they've got going on? Typically, there's a couple things I want to say here. So typically resistance, I tell people when you feel resistance, that's a great action signal. It, it, you let's, let's unpack that and get curious because typically it means we are exactly where we're supposed to be, right? And that is where a lot of driven achievers will, instead of staying committed to the outcome, which I'll circle back to, you know, a lot of us live at an excellent level, right? And we want to be in an extraordinary level. Well, so we're already here, but we want to go here. And there's that that 2% shift, right? And so that 2% is where a lot of people, especially achievers or perfectionists, I don't use that word a lot, but just so people know what I'm talking about, will, will quit, plateau, move backwards, just stall out because something isn't the way they're at the level they're used to it being. And that's where the resistance is. So where the resistance is, I'm like, yes, this is where we're going to go that 2%. We're going to push through it. We're going to move forward. We're going to do the hard thing. We're going to commit to the outcome regardless how you feel. We're going to show up regardless how you feel and reach the goal. Because that, that resistance, that level of difficulty does not mean it's time that you're not in the right place. It doesn't mean it's time to try something different. It means keep going. And so committing to the outcome, I think, is really important. I know that we talk about as coaches and and in the fitness community, we, we talk about do we visualize the outcome or do we stay in the process of getting to the outcome? Where's the focus going to be, right? Well, it's a little bit of both. So the way I do, the way I think about it and what works for my clients is to absolutely commit to the outcome. Right. We're going to while we're working on a goal, we're going to write that outcome down. Usually it's it's crystal clear. That's really important. It's very specific. 
We're going to write it in one or two sentences. It's not a whole paragraph. It's a very specific crystal clear outcome. And then we're going to come up with, I have, you know, I walk people through it in the book and it's kind of long, but you, you come up with a strategy to get that outcome. The strategy can change, right? Those tactics, we can tweak the tactics and we can successful people do many things that don't work, more things that don't work than do work on their way to their outcome. The, the thing that keeps them successful is they change the, the tactics and the strategy. They don't ditch the outcome. And it can be tempting to ditch the outcome to go, especially if we're used to success and we are achievers. It, it can, it can be easy to think, Oh, that's not, I'm not in the right place. This resistance means I need to turn around. And, and like I said, that's where some people plateau. So that's where we as coaches can really help people move through that 2% and get the outcome. Yeah, I'm very curious about the things that stop people from that. And the thing that comes to my mind is people's decision making based on their feelings and their emotions. And I think that when I look at any type of industry or any field and any type of person as well, when it comes to people who maybe haven't really experienced an enormous amount of success in any given pursuit, all the way up to kind of the high achievers and the quote unquote perfectionists, like you mentioned, those people are generally pushed away from their goals due to how they felt or a certain emotion that kept coming back at them in a certain moment. How do we get to a stage where we don't allow our emotions and our feelings to dictate our decisions versus letting them kind of lead the way, essentially? How do we know when to say, okay, I need to listen to my intuition and my emotions, my feelings here, but so, or on the other hand, maybe I just need to listen to the data, keep to the strategy, kind of quiet those emotions a little bit. Like, how do we navigate those conflicting interests, essentially? There's a part in my book that answers that question perfectly. So I came up with a little thing called the four Fs. So if, it's about curiosity. So when you feel it, a feeling's just an action signal. It's not, it's not the truth. It might be, but you have to get curious and ask, is this true? And sometimes we have to dig because our feelings, if we're at a heightened emotional state, we might want to say, yeah, that's true, right? They really made me mad or I really don't want to go to the gym, whatever it is. Yeah, that's true. But then we, we need to ask, is it really true? It's really not true. So you get curious, first of all, you get curious instead of cuckoo, right? And curious instead of crazy. So the four Fs are feel it, find it, fact check it and frame it. So feel it would be that. Stop and get curious and then celebrate that you're aware of your feelings. Feelings aren't wrong. We're going to have them all day long. They're awesome, right? We do need to be curious with them though. So so stop, especially if you have a feeling you don't want, that's a huge action signal, right? Usually we don't stop during the day when we're feeling happy and have great feelings because we just true, keep yeah. going. So those negative feelings are the ones we can really stop, pat yourself on the back. Good job. I'm aware of it. Then, then next, ask yourself, it's usually a thought that went through your head. So ask yourself what words just went through my head or out my mouth that led to this feeling. And a lot of time I call these lousy questions. A lot of time it's in the form of a question. Like, why do I have to go to the gym today? Why can't I lose weight? Why, 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 why? And your brain actually can't answer a lousy question with a, it has to answer it with a lousy answer. So the answer is going to be 
because I'm a loser, because this was too high of a goal, because I'm just always going to be at this weight. I'm not meant to go the 2% and get a new set weight. I'm just, I'm destined to stay at this weight. Whatever it is, you're not going to get a good answer to a lousy question. And, and that's where that curiosity comes in because we're not always aware of those questions. They fly through our brain all day long. So you got to start pulling them out of our subconscious and listen to them and write them down. Keep a little notebook with you, right? So start noticing and celebrating yourself for noticing those lousy questions. So that's find it. And then the next one would be to fact check it. So ask yourself, what's the truth behind that statement? Is it true? It's probably not. You know, a lot of times if people think someone made them angry, the truth is nobody has the power to make you feel anyway. So you chose to feel angry, right? So that's that doesn't mean it's easy just to snap your fingers and not be angry. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that it's not true. It's not a true statement that someone made you angry. And then the fourth, it would be frame it. And really that's to reframe it. And so, you know, like, let's go with the angry one. It'd be, I feel angry. Good for me. I'm aware of my emotions. Is anger a necessary response to this situation? How do I want to feel instead of angry? I can't control other people. What can I control? What emotion do I have the power to choose right now? And how will choosing that emotion make me feel? So that's that's a tactical way to answer the question about how we deal with, how we be curious about our feelings instead of following them to stay committed to the outcome. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume that that starts as quite a chunky process. It's kind of like learning to drive. And it's like, at first, okay, I need to think about the clutch. Mm -hmm. Then I think I need to think about the gas and the gear stick and everything like that. But eventually it all kind of comes together. Is that the same with that framework as well? You notice, you rationalize, you choose your path, et cetera, et cetera. I use that example all the time. It's a great example, right? It's that conditioning. The more you drive, then you're not thinking about the clutch and all these say the blinker and all these things it's part of your physiology now it's it's second nature you you've mastered the skill yeah absolutely and a big part of that is the self-awareness as well like you said we should stop and tap ourselves on the back for actually being aware to identify that and also you know the step after that is to actually stop and do something about it those are two big steps in themselves do you have any advice when it comes to building a little bit more self-awareness because i think that that's probably one of the most underrated tools that any person especially a high achiever can have because of their own biggest seedling is essentially going to be themselves and if they have that self-awareness then at least they can go through a framework like that but before they can go through that framework they need to first identify what's going on in their own mind and what's leading their decisions so do you have any advice on how we can build a little bit more self-awareness um i think the biggest thing is to use the feelings as action signals because that's that's something with I mean, my my first answer would be get a coach <laughs> because a coach right whether it's an athletic coach or a a life coach, a results coach, mindset coach, a coach's job is to be on the sidelines and to see your strengths and see your blind spots and call out those limiting beliefs, right? And and then you're aware of it. And so a coach, or even if you partner up with a friend and discuss this, hold each other accountable to calling out each other's limiting beliefs, right? Because someone else can probably find it before you can and see that where's your blind spot. So 
and if you don't, and if you are by yourself is my answer would be to use, use the feeling, right? If you, the second you feel a way you don't want to feel, there's your action signal. That's when you're going to stop and think what just went through my head and, and then really start drawing out because it's going to be deep. It's going to be subconscious, right? It's, it's something that just flew through your brain. And so start, keep a notebook, start writing those things down so you can be aware of them. And then once you start to be aware of them, it's like anything else. You, it becomes your new practice and you're going to get really good at it. Right. And then it, you will, I, I see this every day with clients. They put this into practice and not instantly, but with repetition and conditioning, eventually their first thought is they still have the thoughts, right? We're still going to have the thoughts we don't want to have. Of course, we're human, but we're going to be able to catch them and they're going to last seconds instead of hours. For sure. And that's pretty much the difference between you making a decision that takes you away from your goals or take you ultimately towards them as well. Do you find journaling to be another useful way of doing that, kind of getting your thoughts out on paper? Yeah, I think the physicality of writing pen to paper instead of computer, I have my clients do a notebook with a pen. That gets it into your physiology. Again, it helps helps you remember what you wrote. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be a helpful one if someone, for example, is on their own, they haven't chosen to get a coach yet, and they don't feel like they have enough vulnerability to open up in front of a friend i think the most important thing that they can do is maybe put it down on paper so they can actually Mm -hmm. see what's going on they can physically see and start to map out some of those tools right so i like that a lot one thing you mentioned there and a big thing i think impacts a lot of people is their limiting beliefs and kind of the narrative that they've been given for their lives something that kind of blows my mind is that we're kind of all given this software essentially that we really didn't choose it was kind of chosen by our parents, maybe the school we went to, the town we lived in, our influences from society and culture. And that ends up either putting us in a really, really great position because if it empowers us, it shows us what we're capable of, or it does the opposite thing. And it really depends on, you know, a lot of different things like it's that, but it was also maybe like our internal psychological and physiological makeup, what we choose to do, our different experiences in life. So it's a kind of a bit of a, a chaotic mess in terms of what we are left with. And I think that then obviously the next step is like, well, what do we do with all of that? Because I think it holds a lot of people back. I know there's so many people who tell me, well, okay, my family's always been overweight. I've always been overweight. So it's never going to be something that I'm ever going to be able to achieve in my life. So when it comes to the narratives that we've been kind of given and the limiting beliefs that pretty much influence our day-to-day decision-making, how do we start working on that chaotic mess that I just went through? Yeah, that's a, that's my favorite question. Um, <laughs> So chapter four in my book uh, has a great exercise for that. And I walk people through it. And the book has, you know, lines to write your answer. It's it's pretty interactive. And so that is my favorite exercise because you, what you're talking about is beliefs. And these beliefs got formed. We either formed them or they just, they got formed over time. Like you said, from our environment, from our the people that we grew up with. And really all a belief is, is truth mixed with what's made up. And over time, those two things have got mangled together to form a belief. So what I do in the exercise, and I can just 
tell you right here, the simplest form of it is, is take a piece of paper, write out your story that you think might be the story you want to change. Like I, you just said when I, what did you just, you used a good About example. the overweight individual. Right. I'm, I'm it, always going to be overweight. Ever been a, a exactly. Way, et That's a great example. So you'd write on the left side of the paper, I'll always be overweight because everyone in my family was overweight. I wish I wasn't overweight, but that's just not my path. Right. I, and, and probably if they really get honest in their story is I don't deserve to, I deserve to be overweight and, and why, right? So there's going to be a lousy story on the, on the left-hand side. And then what I have people do is get their, you know, logical brain hat on and read that story and either highlight, underline, or circle. Let's take a highlighter and highlight only the things that are true, right? Like the, in the truth in that story would be my, my family was overweight and I am overweight. Everything else about that story is not true. That's the imagination. That's the made up part. And that's the part that got mangled in with the truth to form this narrative, right? So then what we're going to do is pull out the, the untrue things and commit to finding a better meaning for them and write that on the right side. And the key is most people don't feel like it and don't believe it at first. So I say, don't worry. We're going to act as if we're just going to write it as you want it to be. And that's where a coach or a friend is helpful to really keep you accountable to writing that truth as it should. Because the truth is, it doesn't matter what if your family was overweight or not. You can set a goal and reach that goal. That's just true. So that's going to be on the right side. And then we're going to form a new story. And then I walk people through how to do that, staying, staying committed to it, even when you don't believe it. And I swear the belief will come. Sometimes it's like we're pulling our feelings around in a little red wagon for a while, like a little kid, right? And eventually they'll catch up to us and become part of our nervous system, become part of our physiology, become second nature, like driving a car right? We won't be thinking about the blinker and the clutch and all that. And then they're going to put that new story up where they can exaggerate and really condition it. And that's different for every everybody. It kind of depends if you're um, more visual, more kinesthetic. Like if someone's a high kinesthetic person, they might dance and say it as a mantra, right? If someone's visual, they're going to um, maybe record a video of them themselves reciting that new narrative. And some people it's, I like to read things. So it's impactful to me to, for, to have the words written down. So I'll put it on the wallpaper of my phone or on my bathroom mirror and all those things that we kind of knew worked as kids, but we sort of complicated it. It's pretty simple, right? Those, those, those mantras and those simple things work. And that's, that's the exercise in a nutshell for changing narrative. And do you follow that up with action as well? Because if realistically, we've gotten down to our two truths. My family has typically always been overweight. I am an overweight person at this moment in time. But as much as I choose to believe that I'm not going to be this way and I write myself a new story, if I don't ultimately take the actions and I keep taking the same decisions and making the same steps towards what got me here in the first place. I'm always going to be like that. Right. So where does actions come into that as well as the mantra and the creating the new narrative immediately, right? We immediately move into action, then move into strategy 
And as we said earlier, commit to the outcome, have that crystal clear, write it down and then come up with a strategy to, to get that. And then that strategy, use what works and dump what doesn't work and keep shifting it around and rearranging it and keep using what works to get your outcome. In this case, the outcome would be uh, maybe maybe it's a very specific goal of a weight that person wants to reach, to gain lightness, to weigh that amount, right? And if that's the goal, then there's got to be an action plan for it. And that action plan is not going to be perfect the first time you write it down. And that doesn't mean you can't still reach that goal. Yeah. And there has to be a level of kind of giving yourself grace not to be perfect. It, again, perfectionism is another story, but to be perfect and get that plan in place from day one. I get this with my clients a lot. They're usually disappointed if they can't follow through on something for the first two or three weeks. And I'm like, what gave you this idea that you were going to be able to do this in the first place, right? And I don't know why, You maybe you can answer this question as well. Why is it that we go in with like literally zero self-belief in the beginning, but as soon as we choose to commit to being the healthy person who's gonna to go to the gym five times a week, or we're gonna to commit to being the person who builds this business, automatically we assume that we have every single tool possible and the exact perfect plan that we can do. We've literally gone from zero self-belief and never gonna be able to do this to, okay, I'm going to do this 100% and it's going to go smooth from day one for the remainder of my days. Why do we do that? It's fascinating, right? I yeah. put a lot of that in my the book I'm writing now. There's a lot on, um, yeah, why balance, like balance is not, you know, if you have a teeter-totter, right, there's, you're, you have to be a perfectionist, which is not a great thing in order to balance something. So I like the word rhythm instead of balance or navigating tension but I think humans, I think human nature, we make it the way we set up our rules. I do a, a lot of work with rules people have for themselves. The rules we set for ourselves make it very easy to fail and very difficult to succeed. So what I'll do with people is take the rule they have, like maybe the rule was, I'm going to go like when you start working with a client and they made a rule for themselves and maybe they didn't share it with you that they're going to be at the gym at five o'clock every morning. Well, what happens when the dog is sick or whatever? And they didn't make that. Now they think they're a failure, right? And there's no room for grace. We have to have room for grace. So they've made it very easy to fail because of the rule they set for themselves. So I think it's kind of around the rules and having, that's why I say tweak the tactics. The rules are part of the strategy. And so you don't have to get rid of your outcome, your end result, your goal, but you do have to keep those rules and the strategy flexible. And that's, that's what is a really good thing for you and I to remind clients of all the time and grace, 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 right? It means nothing as your worth as a person if you didn't do A, B, or C that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And that's something I actually mentioned in a recent Instagram post. It's like, I don't really care too much how much weight you might drop in your first couple of weeks. I care if you're still going to be committing to your plan in the next three to six months because of 
if you drop three to four kilos and you feel on top of the world and amazing, that's fantastic and it's, it's beautiful. But it tells me nothing about how long you're actually going to commit to it. And that's actually what's genuinely going to tell me what your results are going to look like long term. You might get some short term results, but I'm not here for short term results. I'm here to get you into a position where you can have a healthy and fit body for as long as you wish to have it for. So I think that realistically, yeah, it's just about taking away so much kind of emphasis on being perf- perfect. And a big thing I say to people as well is like, are you focusing on uh, a score or a streak? And as, mm. as a concept that I like to have is like, okay, we're keeping score here. So every single day that you are in alignment with this healthy version of yourself, it's one nil to you. And then next day it's two zero. Next day it's three zero. But if you mess up or whatever on day four, it doesn't mean you go back to zero and you start again. It's just now three one. And as long as you keep leading that scoreboard and you've got a, like a big enough lead away from the person that you used to be, trust me, that's what's going to lead you to your results. Not aiming to be 21 days without anything quote unquote bad touching your lips or whatever that might be. And I think that's been a really nice concept that has come through. And I think that, yeah, we often place too much pressure on the perfectionism once again, and trying to keep staying on point, keep staying on point versus, okay, am I going to still be able to do this in six months and six years? Because that's really what's going to lead me to the results and the life that I want. I love that. I love the score or a streak. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, a big saying in the sober community is, is we practice progress, not perfection. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And, and another saying in, in that community is, is no matter what, right? We don't drink no matter what, happy, sad, mad, or glad. There's no formula for having that kind of success. It's just the end result is no matter what, right? And, if you're practicing perfection, that's not going to happen because you will not follow the rules you set for yourself every day, right? Doesn't mean you won't be tempted to set them. I still do that, right? I'm a achiever. I, I want to have rules, but <laughs> I know it's, that's not, yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes we can be trapped by our own rules, whether we even set them or not, or they're just beliefs that we think that we need to abide by. And they tend to make things, as you mentioned, it kind of comes back to those simple things that we were taught as kids. Sometimes we make things far more complicated than they need to be when realistically we can loosen up the, you know, the reins just that little bit and it gives us this new lease of life. And all of a sudden things are just not as hard as they once were, which is, incredibly valuable insight, but one that's probably not discovered enough. And something you've just mentioned a couple of minutes ago was the rhythm and kind of balancing, what was it? Balancing tension, I think it was. Navigating the tension. Navigating the tension, exactly, versus using the word balance. So I'm curious, especially when it comes to those people who are striving for that 2%, those high achievers, those high performers, those perfectionists, is balance even something to be considering? Or is that a term that we kind of need to leave behind? And do we need to put something in place that is more appropriate to what we're looking to achieve, like rhythm, like navigating the tension, for example, is that a far better frame to look at things at, especially in the world of high achievement, where it does seem most of the time unbalanced, to be completely honest. I've been practicing leaving it behind, the word balance. Yeah, it's it's a cadence, a rhythm, a, a dance, right? We We're human beings. We wake up feeling different every day. So the more we strive to maintain an equilibrium, maintain a a weight or a certain way we eat every day, we're setting ourselves up to be disappointed, right? And so it is progress, not perfection. It is three steps forward, half a step back, 
Some days it's all steps forward. Some days it's a few steps back and no steps forward. That's where the grace and just we're always moving forward, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And it comes back to that kind of streaks versus scores thing again. And do you encourage people to find, and you mentioned this at the very, very start of our conversation, like a strong tribe and community that is kind of on the same path as you because of usually our feelings of lack of balance come from people who are not necessarily on that same path. It's the person who's making unhealthy choices that makes fun of or puts the social pressure on the person who is trying to live their life in a certain way. So is there a lot to be done in terms of finding a community, finding friends, finding people who are kind of on a similar path to you to reinforce what you're doing and not make you feel like an outsider all the time? Yes. I think community is key. I think we're created as humans to live in community, right? Human humans are the one of maybe the only species that as a baby we absolutely cannot survive on our own, right? If a baby's just left, it won't survive, right? Somebody has to pick it up and feed it and so we're created for community and I think it's important to to be around the people we want to be like. I also, I think it's important to have mentors and mentees too, also to be always serving, always being a mentor to someone else, always be in contribution, be more of a contributor than a consumer. I think that is key. And absolutely, yes, be be in a community and, but have that community be surrounded with people that you want to be like and where do you find those types of people if potentially you've gone through your entire life with the same group of friends and you're starting to see that your interests don't align so much but you're in that adult stage where making new friends seems just as daunting as leaving your old ones behind i think that that's a real big challenge that a lot of people go for it's like okay i've stopped giving up drinking now i have nothing in common with my new my old friends but i actually don't have any new friends to go to so so what do i do do i just remain friendless or what's the plan here <laughs> well you're leaving your comfort so that's leaving the comfort zone Right. If you want to grow, which we're also created to grow, everything in nature grows or dies. So we have to leave our comfort zone to grow. So, yeah, get uncomfortable and move. Get new friends. Get in a community. If you're if you have fitness goals, have a community of people with those similar goals have. They're all over the place, too. Like if anybody tells me, I I actually have had a client say, well, I just don't have any friends and I can't find them. And I just call bullshit. That's not true. (laughs) There's people everywhere. You can find people that are at the level you want to be at and you can get out of your comfort zone. And my husband and I have moved from towns. Um, We moved from California to Colorado recently. We've, we're always growing and looking for where our next place of service is and, and we get uncomfortable and it, it does suck for a while. Then we start getting comfortable and do it all over again. But there's a, um, I was just, I'm sitting at my desk and I, do you know who Jimmy Chin is? He's a mountain no, climber. He's really popular in the United States and he's got great, he's also a filmmaker. He's got great documentaries on National Geographic Channel and he's just worked. He's an elite athlete, works with a lot of elite athletes. He's fabulous. And, um, he made that movie Free Solo where Alex Honnold climbed the face of um, El Capitan in Yosemite National Park in California with no ropes. It was 
very interesting documentary because he gets, you know, he's friends with Alex and interviews him and kind of gets into the mind because we're all thinking, what sort of brain do you have to have to be able to do that, right? But something Alex Honnold said is the... The correct way to manage fear, I think, is to gradually broaden your comfort zone until your comfort zone includes things that previously seemed impossible. And so that's, yeah, and that's the answer to, to finding supportive friends. There absolutely are. And I think, like you said, it's kind of just channeling that inner fear of the rejection of the, what if they don't like me and all of that type of stuff, but also recognize that probably 90% of people that you're going to approach, especially if you're kind of trying to look at people at that same kind of stage in their journey that you are, will be thinking the exact same thing. Maybe you're going to experience a little bit more rejection. If you go for the person that you admire the most, who's like the expert in your field, you might not be able to reach them, but maybe you just want to take one step above where you are first or start to meet people who are kind of on that level and maybe they can introduce you to someone else as well. So yeah, I like what you mentioned in the sense of just saying, okay, there isn't any reality to this. You've just got to go out there and do it. And there's, an, you know, there's probably eight, over 8 billion people in this world. So there's probably one or two people that you can make your friends. So I think it's a, a nice closing note. And I've got a couple of final questions for you today, Chris. It's been a really fascinating conversation. The first that I have for you is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? Great question. It, it's hard to answer that without bringing my faith into it. So bring it in. Okay, I'm I'm a Christian and so kind of my life purpose is to love God and honor God by loving on his people. And my way and my gifts are to love people through writing books and coaching and helping people get unstuck. Love it. Love the mission that you're on, Chris. And where is the best place for people to find you, to keep up with the books that you're writing, to go get your current book that's out? The best place is my website, which is Chris Jansen, J-A-N-S-S-E-N, ChrisJansenCoaching.com. And my book, Living All In, How to Show Up for the Life You Want, is on Amazon. No, it's soon going to be on audiobook as well for all us audiobook listeners as well. Soon, not tomorrow soon. <laughs> soon. And then uh, look for my second book. Would we have a early es- twi- yeah, estimated release date on that? Early 2025. Amazing. We'll keep an eye out for that. And in the meantime, we'll go check out your other one. But Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really fascinating and insightful conversation. Oh, so, so nice to talk to you, Elliot. Thanks for having me as a guest. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.